You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And tonight, we are looking at two more, two, I say, two episodes of The Invisible Man. And just to make things more interesting, they are potentially non-contiguous episodes, depending on whether you're looking at Wikipedia or the DVDs or wherever. So, so ignore what numbers these are. We are going to be talking about Barnard Once Out and Go Directly to Jail. But we're going to start with Barnard Once Out. Dan's former professor and mentor, Dr. Barnard, defected to the other side back in 1960 because he did not want his work used for weapons. Now, although closely guarded, he's making intimations that he wishes to return to the United States. Dan and Kate are sent to a scientific conference in Stockholm where they hope Dan's friendly relations with Barnard, combined with him being the clay resource, will allow him to find out if he does wish to return and to get him out if he does. Barnard's daughter, Anna, and her fiancé, Alexei Zartov, are also with Barnard at the conference. Anna, having grown up since she was two on the other side, is thoroughly brainwashed against the corrupt, decadent, capitalist West. Zartov is a ruthless and ambitious security officer who isn't above using the puppy-dog love of Anna for him to further his own career. Weston gets into Barnard's room and learns that he does wish to re-defect, but Anna is too brainwashed to consider going. Zartov has had Anna bug the room, so the conversation is overheard, and Zartov busts in. Weston isn't captured because he is the Invisible Man, but Zartov is sure he recognized Weston's voice. The Westons are placed under security lockdown in their room and will be ejected from the country tomorrow morning. Being invisible, Weston is able to get Barnard out and down to their room, where Barnard wears Dan's face and hands. The next morning, he leaves with Kate. The end. But it isn't the end, because those nasty people on the other side, and Zartoff in particular, aren't above killing Anna if Barnard doesn't turn himself over to them. Dan pulls another escape, and Barnard and Anna are free to return to the good old U.S. of A. The end. <clears throat> well, another spy caper and not, not at all science fiction-y episode apart from uh, an invisible man running around. What did you think of the episode? Yeah, it was all right. Pretty pedestrian. Yep. Um, and, and I think, you know, we're looking here at, at we, we talked about it a little bit, but science fiction in the 1970s was not really a thing. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, there was a lot of science fiction in the 70s. But if you look at it, a lot of it was like this, where they just yeah. had a science fiction hook. Yeah, James Bond was science a, fiction. A, a very, very standard uh, adventure drama show with the fact that the guy's invisible. Uh, but then on the other hand, you had the ones like The Man from Atlantis, where they would throw in these concepts, which... A two-year-old would think were science fiction, but anyone else would think was an insult. <laughs> and and so, you know, it, it's a it's a grab bag. But it was it was not a good time 
was not a good time for science fiction on uh, American American television. So, um, mm-hmm. so a couple things. Uh, I I think it's kind of interesting that they don't actually name name and shame the Soviet Union here. Yeah, I'm not sure what their policy was on that back then. Uh, you know, it's Cold War, but yeah, I'm not sure why they didn't actually come out and name an actual country. Yeah, they're, they're the Russians, they're the Soviets. Even, you know, Soviets can mean more than one thing, but we never got that. We got, he went over to the other side. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Mission Impossible, so the 60s, height of right. the, height of the, the, the stuff, they were always kind of making up countries or calling them a certain Eastern power or, and they went to elaborate lengths like all of the signs were written in, in, I forgot what they called it, but they had a name for it. Oh yeah. Where they yeah, I know you're they about. faked the name. So like you'd be able to read it, but mm-hmm. it's not like Polizzi cars. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff. Hotelenbergens. <laughs> it's like Esperanto light. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't name countries. Uh, but then when you get to the era of say MacGyver, it's always the Russians. No, nobody's, mm-hmm. we're not, they're not making a joke about it now. It's yeah. the Russians, but somewhere here in between, we're, we're looking at this, um, era where, I mean, it's obviously the Russians mm-hmm. or the East Germans maybe, but, and, and then the part that gets me is that in 1960, brilliant physicist, in fact, so brilliant that he was able to figure out invisibility when Dan couldn't. <laughs> Right? I mean, he says, you right. know, I, I was looking at your work and you could actually use this to make people in- invisible. And Dan's like, yeah, I stumbled on that by a mistake. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but Barnard was smart enough to figure out it could it could work. Yes, but Barnard couldn't find any practical applications for it and gave up. Exactly, because he couldn't find anything that would be used that wouldn't be weapons. <laughs> but, exactly. But my, which is my point, that he went to the freaking other side because he didn't want his stuff to be used for military purposes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess I guess he drank really uh, good Kool Aid back then. You know, if you were if you were in say nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, I could maybe I could maybe see somebody falling for that line. Eh, perhaps, but post World War Two, no, no, no. They were clearly aggressively militaristically uh pursuing and you know i know that history is written by the victors and it remains to be seen who the victors are here at at currently um the way things are going (laughs) but I, i think we've i think we have come down on the side of history that says objectively speaking for example hitler was bad yeah stalin was bad yep Lenin, bad, bad. Um, Khrushchev, eh, bad. I mean, ob- objectively speaking, those they did bad things to their people intentionally and to the world in general. And and we knew it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, they were keeping our bad stuff to them, but we knew that they were doing bad stuff. And it's hard to believe that anybody, a smart person anyway. Right. I, I know did happen but yeah i mean you know the 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 worst we could do is you know what poison your mind with uh 
capitalist ideas and, and Western culture, the worst thing they could do over there is shoot you dead. Yeah. Send you to a prison for a minimal, a minimal offense for decades where, you know, you ended up, uh, you know, turning to cannibal, cannibal, uh, cannibalism because there was no food. <laughs> that actually did actually happen. Yeah. Yeah. At least in one, it, it, one group. Yeah. It did not happen in a day in the life of uh, Ivan Desinovich, but, uh, but it came yeah. close, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It's so... I, I know that that was a theme and I know that people did defect. Can't quite figure. I've never quite understood why. Sometimes it's like, oh, we're going to give you money and girls. And, and, and I can kind of, I can sort of understand that. Yeah. I mean, maybe right? they, maybe they were told, you know, like a recruiter for the military. Oh, you know, because of your background, you're going to get, you know, such, you know, a fantastic uh, job and great position You'll be set up with a nice little, uh, you know, country house, and yeah, mm -hmm. it'll be wonderful. You know, when... Maybe that when you're sitting here in the in the U.S. going, oh, I can't get funding for my work, and have to pay. Exactly, exactly. That I could kind of see, but the whole thing is like, I'm not going over to the Soviets because, or I'm going over to the Soviets because they're using my my stuff for weapons here. Yeah, that's kind of silly. Is is definitely seems uh, uh, un unrealistic. Yeah. I mean, and it shouldn't have been too much of a uh, a secret back then, because back in the the '40s, when German scientists were were uh, figuring how to get out of uh, Germany as the war ended, you know, who did they want to give up to? Well, we have the the United States and the British over here, or you have the Russians. We're going to go with the U.S. and British guys. Yeah, yeah, they could. Uh -huh. They absolutely did. I do think it's funny that they they got Nehemiah Persoff to play the part. I mean, how many shows have you seen him in where he's been playing an East German or a Soviet? Oh, yeah. Very familiar. Like, bazillions of them. Yeah. And yet here he is playing it basically with no accent as an American scientist. Yeah. I thought that was, I thought that was funny. I, I was, <laughs> when I saw the name Nehemiah Persoff in the credits, I thought he is definitely the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> Right. He is he is absolutely the the brutal security officer, not not the uh, not the kindly old brilliant <laughs> physics professor. That one that one threw me. It really yeah. did. I, I was I was nice that they that they threw in the line when they get out of the car in Stockholm mm -hmm. and Kate's all dolled up in a fur coat and everyone else is you know, in shirt sleeves. And, and she goes, I thought it was cold in Stockholm. And I'm thinking that has to be, that has to be for the people that are wondering how the heck Dan is going to survive naked running oh, around yeah. Stockholm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, I, the, uh, the, 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 the meeting was at the height of summer on an especially mm -hmm. warm day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm waiting for them to go to Alaska and go, oh, I've <laughs> never seen anything like this heat wave we're having here. Exactly. It's, Whoa! It's even melted all the snow in the permafrost. It's, like, it's amazing. Yesterday it looked like Alaska. Today it looks like California. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. Trees and everything all over the place. Yeah. It's like spring. It's real short here, but it's, it's yeah. very impressive. <laughs> uh, let's see. I, I, you know, there's so little of substance here that I'm, I'm kind of just running through my list of stuff. I'm, I'm. Enormously amused by the them continuing the theme of the Westons are the worst tippers. 
Oh yeah, that's got to be a the, the you know the the writer's inside joke right there. That's that's, that's yeah. pretty good. I'm I'm thinking maybe uh, maybe one of the two actors is a terrible tipper. Could, and they're, they're maybe the director is. <laughs> could be that too. Yeah. yeah, it could be it could be R. Bennett or uh, Stephen Bacho or somebody that's, that's mm-hmm. high up on the the chain. But yeah, Dan gives ten cents in you know foreign money, so he can't be expected. Yeah, and, exactly. And the guy complains, so you know, rightly so. Kate gives him twenty five cents instead. Takes the ten back. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, an adjusted inflation. I, it was still is cheap that, back then. Is it? I I, I re- honestly don't know. I mean, I think you're supposed to like tip a dollar a bag still. Isn't that it? Isn't that I, the number? I'm not sure. Uh, maybe. So I, in which case, I don't know how many bags the Westons had, but adjusted for inflation, uh, that's probably only about 50 cents. Yeah. Or, you know, at most a dollar yeah. for all the bags. So we also have a very curious bit about... His sunburn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Getting a tan and he's invisible. Interesting idea. Hmm. What does that mean for us? That means that his body is not transparent to UV light. Right. Exactly. So I guess that'd be one way of testing it. I mean, a safer way would obviously be uh, some sort of a camera or uh, a UV detector and a UV source and have him walk in front of it. Which way does, which way is UV? UV is higher yeah, shorter wavelengths, shorter higher wavelength. frequency, and more energy. Where's where would X rays be? Much higher than than UV. So he should be able. They should be able to X ray him. Uh, perhaps. Well, uh, let's see. Yeah, Dan did actually say he got a little bit, bit of a sunburn. So yeah, so yeah, he's a uh, he's radio opaque. Should be. Which is both interesting idea conceptually, uh, perhaps ill founded, but interesting idea conceptually and more importantly went nowhere yeah it was just a throwaway bit that's all it so, was, yeah it, it wouldn't be funny to have the invisible man on a towel getting a sun you know taking in the sun i you know it's spoilerific here but there's a future episode where as far as i can tell he walks you know 10 15 miles in the texas desert naked and doesn't burn up so <laughs> Uh, but you know, I thought I thought that I, Chekhov's gun, right? Chekhov's sunburn in this case. Yeah, you, you thought for sure that he that somehow he you know he'd bump into something and it would hurt his sunburn. He go ha, 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 like that, or and and give himself away, or mm-hmm. you know set up a commercial break cliffhanger or something. But nothing. Yeah, just, just nothing. Just whoop, threw it away. Or even some throwaway line at the end where he's asking Kate for a, you know, to uh, put ointment on him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I and also noticed that we did not have the, hey, we need to rush off and have sex uh, gag at the end. Oh, yeah. You're right. Didn't notice that. Yeah, you're right. Hmm. They, they've apparently toned that, toned the invisible sexy time down. Hmm. A little bit. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, what else have we got here uh, in this? episode um i mean you got the stupid daughter cliche yeah got the bad guy who's a very generic 2d bad guy wow he was yeah oh man yeah you could you could see right through him and and he didn't she should have seen invisible. right through him too but obviously she did not get her brains from dad no no definitely and not. 
Was she really that plain? Well, maybe dressed in that that smock with the uh, with her hair back like that. But I noticed that the second she dumped uh, dumped Zarkov, that her hair came out and she yeah. looked a lot better. Yeah, exactly. Immediately, it was like, well, I had this long hair anyway, so I just yep. flush it out. So that's the uh, the influence of the Western decadence right there. <laughs> I was I was awash with Western decadence. It was in my it was in my uh, conditioner. Uh, yeah, suave <laughs> <laughs> conditioner. <laughs> yep. Hmm. <laughs> I noticed the uh, the the. Uh, I think they've used the same 747 footage in, in another episode where they're flying somewhere. Not quite sure. I did actually track that down. That that's uh, test footage from the very first 747 flight. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, 1969. They couldn't even get well. They couldn't even get good footage. I mean, no, fortunately, it was very generic. Uh, oh, the, I guess no, no company name. Right, it was just uh, like a white airplane, and it had orange markings on it, uh, Boeing's markings they put on it to just you know for like a test vehicle. It even had the little uh, cone on a cable coming off the top of the uh, vertical stabilizer to check the air pressure on it. It's like, hmm, that doesn't look quite right. Commercial airliners don't have those. <laughs> I think that shows us where our attention is going in this episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, no, I got totally distracted on that. By the stock footage of the 747. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, um, there's a line. Well, there's a whole major plot point in this story that Barnard wears out Dan's face oh, yes. and hands. Yeah. Fit him like a glove, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Particularly the hands. The uh -huh. face fit pretty well, too. But yeah. there is the line that says, well, he and I have about the same build. No. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> he means bipedal. Okay. <laughs> he has a head. I have a head. Exactly. We, we both, both have, have one nose and two ears. Yep, that's it. That is right. But, uh, yeah, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it is a, it is a clever idea. Yeah, which kind of gets you know reused um, as he smuggles a disguise in for Anna by just wearing clothes. Yeah, so I thought that actually that was clever. I like that bit. They did have uh, there was the Bjork scene. The Bjork scene. Bjork scene. Yes, where where uh, Dan climbs along the railing, mm -hmm. and and he goes in through the room of the the Ooh. typical. Scandinavian woman who is like York. Yes. Yeah, the Bjork? Scandinavian bombshell is yeah waiting, waiting for her lover Bjork to to come mm -hmm. in and and instead there's nothing there. Exactly. Doesn't seem to phase her too much though. Not much. She did seem depressed when the door opened and, and whoever left though. Yeah. Bjork. <laughs> in fact, you could almost say that that might have been the prototype for the Swedish chef. Well, he says Bork, Bork, Bork. I know, but Bjork, 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 I know it's it's, but it's very, very much. She was conveying everything with the word Bjork. Yeah, could be as they do. I think that's uh, best acting of anybody in the episode. It was a highlight of the show. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Also, the <laughs> the ridiculous getting in and out of the elevators and the guards and the fact that they just. <clears throat> There were too many guards for him to get by them. Yeah, That's my he, take on it. 
yeah. I mean, even though he's distracting him, still, it just it, it's this whole story stretched credulity. <laughs> it has an invisible man in it. I think it's stretched pretty thin already. <laughs> that's that's the big <laughs> lie that they sell you, but they can't do any more. The rest of it has to be honest. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. This one was not. Yeah, so mm, we need a really hardcore spy show. Hmm. Let's see. I'll tell you. I'll tell you another one that 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 actually bothered me. Hmm. He's got a uniform. He wears the uniform. Mm -hmm. He wants to see if the the embassy has medals and stuff, which they don't. <laughs> so instead, yeah. he makes them with ribbons, chewing gum, and coins. American coins, probably. No, they were. Right. There was a quarter and a penny. And they were the right yeah. size for that. I I couldn't see them, but I assumed that they were probably. Well, they would have been American coins for the props department, if nothing else. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that this highly decorated officer <laughs> walks in wearing his sergeant stripes. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, maybe he was a sergeant and he got decorated in some military action somewhere. Or, you know, he's... Does that, does that make a difference? I mean, I, I'm not well, military enough to know, but it's still just the sergeant. Doesn't matter how many stripes he's... Or, Ribbons, yeah, right? I would think that the 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 bit on his shoulder would make more more of impression than the stuff on his chest. But uh, you know, especially since the first person he passed noticed that the ribbons were screwed up. Yeah, like uh, I I oh yeah, I should say the uh, when the guard rips his head off, that was funny. True, true, that was good. It's about the first first time that. that should have had. You'd think that would happen sometime when somebody would grab him by the hand, too, and pull. Yeah. Come this way, Weston. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I lost it in the war. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, he's very careful with his mask and his gloves in this episode, again, despite the fact that he has somebody else wear them and who's bigger than him and probably split it. Yeah. Uh, well, that dermaplast is pretty tough stuff, so. Must be. Mm -hmm. Must be good stuff. Must be good stuff. Do you have anything else? I mean, this, this one is no. so nothing. Nope. Yeah. Now, the bit about the airplane was the most uh, esoteric thing I could think of in there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that was a shot of Stockholm. Uh, it does look somewhat familiar from pictures I've yeah, seen. Yeah, I suspect that they do have actual footage uh, of those places in their yeah. archives from, you know, movies, if nothing 1950s else. 1950s, at least, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's Luckily Europe. What's going to change? Well, <laughs> Exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, if if nobody's bombing them, then they have no reason to move forward. <laughs> Interesting take. Sure. Okay. That was that was actually the premise of that was actually a, a major premise of one of my history professors with regards to the reconstruction of London hmm. after the Blitz. Because oh, well, you know, there's you know, I mean, yeah. it was all small warrens and rubbly houses, and and the Great Fire. You have these you have these major events that come through and wipe these old towns out, but otherwise they just stay the same. Now, I don't know that that, that was in the seventies. I don't know if that holds true now because it looks to me like Britain has been ripping stuff down and putting up the gherkin and and, and all the shard those things, and all that kind of stuff, the shard yeah. and stuff like that. So, and and the Docklands. And 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 Battersea Power Station, man! I can't believe they tore down Battersea Power Station. That's sad. I always kind of hoped I'd get over there and actually see that with my own eyes, but oh well. Guess and, not. And not going to happen now. No. Nope. Nope. Not going to see it. But um, you know, not like Phoenix. 
where you know a building 15 years old is ripe for demolition and rebuilding oh yeah exactly we can put a beautiful parking lot in this spot yeah this house yeah, has been a... here since 1896 knock it down i think there should be a circle k here or a or a payday loan place or like a payday loan place yeah yeah title loan yeah exactly <laughs> Well, failing that with, with no fascinating science fiction concepts to talk about in this episode, let's move on to uh, the next episode we're reviewing, but not necessarily the next episode in the series called Go Directly to Jail. And I'm just going to give you spoilers. It's about somebody going to prison, oh. not jail. It's like jail. It's not, though. It's <laughs> subtle different. Although, to be fair, he does go to jail, but that's another story. Let's do the synopsis first, and then we can we can discuss what great science fiction this episode is. Mrs. McAllister, cleaning lady at the Clay Corporation, has a problem. Her son, Leyland, is apparently in prison in Texas. He's a college-educated traveling salesman, but he's been seen in prison under the name James Smith. A relative saw him there, but he completely denied being Leyland McAllister. Mrs. McAllister has no money and nowhere to turn. Everyone at the Clay Corporation knows that the Westons run the Clay Resource, which is where people turn when no one else can solve their problems. Over Walter's objections, Dan and Kate decide to take a few days off and visit Texas. Dan goes to the prison, posing as a lawyer. The warden says that the prisoner, James Smith, won't talk with anybody, won't see anybody, won't participate in any of the social functions, and that he is highly unlikely to want to talk to him. Dan presses on by telling the warden that his name is Leyland McAllister, and he thinks James Smith will see him. See him he does. At first, he continues to play his part, but as Weston reveals who he is and where he works, Smith admits he's Leyland, but only after Weston can confirm some highly top-secret info about his work. Leyland is undercover. Leave me alone. Go tell my mom I'm fine and get out of here. Dan leaves, troubled now that Leyland had knowledge of top security information. Could he be a high-level government agent? He asks Walter to find out. He is. And by giving Leyland's name, Dan has probably blown his cover. This time, Dan breaks into prison and poses as a prisoner so that he can warn him. Too late, but Leyland and Weston are rumbled and shackled together in detention. It seems the warden is involved in heroin smuggling. Handcuffed together, Dan is forced to reveal the secret that he is the Invisible Man to Leyland. Comedy ensues as a prisoner, handcuffed to a naked, invisible man, attempt to escape from prison, which is remarkably easy. Unfortunately for Leyland, he's pulled over by the Texas police for driving while black. Although, to be fair, just because he was able to drive out of a prison driving a prison car while wearing a prisoner's uniform doesn't mean that he would go unchallenged by local law enforcement. He is arrested. While Dan continues to the location of the drug deal, hoping to delay them long enough for Walter to call in the troops. He succeeds. Leyland is freed, and he manages to spin an entirely new lie to his mother to cover up the fact that he's an undercover agent. The end. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of this episode? It was better than the last one. I guess. Yeah. I guess I would go along with that. There was a little bit too much... There was a little too much step and fetch it. 
Oh, yeah, that was In Leyland's performance. Especially in, you know, today's day and age. Yeah. I mean, in (laughs) 1975-ish, it was still bad. Mm -hmm. It was still... It was still... It was cringeworthy. Uh Uh-huh. His mom was bad enough. Mm -hmm. But, but, but he, when he was playing James Smith, oh, boy. Ah. You know, if he'd said, I don't know nothing about birth and no babies, that would have been just about right on par yeah. with, with Gone with the Wind there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you know, when he switches, he sounds normal. Yeah. He sounds like a college-educated traveling salesman. Yeah. Sure. But, yeah, that, that, that act was a bit. Yeah, or federal agent. Who knows? I don't know. It's... Yeah, or federal agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I got to say, she comes in, mom comes into the Westons and she says, my son Layla's been seen by his cousin Vinny or whatever his name was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was in prison. And when he talked to him, he said, he's not J- uh, Layla. he said, he's named James Smith, but I think my cousin would know his own blood relatives. And so therefore there's something going on. And I'm like, yes, he's an undercover cop. <laughs> well, you know, his mother's not going to believe that. Why why would he lie about being a salesman? Yeah, because she's simple. And unfortunately, <laughs> that also does not come off well in this episode. But yeah, like, uh, all right, you're either mistaken or or you should leave this alone mm-hmm. for, for, for reasons to. So so uh, you know what the most important thing in this episode to me was? What? We saw the cabinet where Dan keeps his extra heads. Oh, yeah, I like that. It's like, oh, extra stuff. Neat. I, I've always been worried that one of these days he's going to have to escape and lose that mask. Right. And it's like, that's that was the only one? Oh, no. What will he do? Yeah, I mean, I I think. <laughs> so, Dan, why you got that uh, Bozo the Clown mask on? It just, just occurred to me that maybe maybe they each have a different expression. <laughs> hold, on. <laughs> hold on. Let me go with my happy face on. Oh, honey, you get you have the bemused mask on. Oh, darn, darn. We <laughs> Well, that was more fun than the episode right there. Um, Almost, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was. Um, they've been relatively careful up till now about Dan not having to do unbelievable feats while naked. But he mm. apparently walked a long way in the desert. To yeah, get I'm... to the prison, yeah. or it feels like that. Maybe he, maybe he drove in his clothes at, in a taxi and then got off, uh, you know, a mile or half a mile or something from the prison. But he still basically crossed the desert carrying a floating bag with his yeah. head, buried I'm, it. Yeah, I'm thinking that he, uh, he must have, he must have like hidden his car or somebody dropped him off or something like that. It has to be. Well, I would have said if somebody dropped him off, except that Kate is back in the hotel making the no, phone good call. good point. Yeah. You know, in the, in the other cases, yeah, it's like at the end, she's going to pick him up. Although he did say he was going to meet her at the, meet her at the hotel. So he planned on getting back to the hotel on foot because he expected to have to leave the place naked. So. That's right. Yeah. So I, the writers are getting careless. It's like, okay, <laughs> they accept the premise now. So it's all right. We'll 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 run with it. Coincidence that he has a security six clearance, the same as the six million dollar man. Well, you can catch that. 
That's cool. I don't know if that's a real thing or that's just... I think it's TV stuff. TV secret stuff. TV secret stuff. So, uh, let's see here. Let's see. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, we we get to see um, evidence of Dan with footprints in some dust when a guard is doing some sweeping. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I will say the whole bit where he had to be handcuffed to Leyland. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't, it didn't quite look the way it should. If Leyland's pants were supposed to be torn and Dan's hand was supposed to be shoved down in his pocket. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't quite, but the whole bit about them, you know, having to do the, the walking and the, and the slipping in the. Mm-hmm. On the slipping was good. I like that bit. That yeah. Was nice. Um, that was, that was funny anyway. I mean, it got mm-hmm. some funny out of the episode if, oh yeah, if nothing else. And the I best thought, reaction to Dan's invisibility so far, just, yeah, you know, just totally cannot believe it. Completely flabbergasted by the whole thing. I was amused when he took the head off and he was just blown away. And then he says, well, help me get the clothes. I was like, well, you want, it's not just your head. Exactly. It's like, wow, that's useful. <laughs> I know. Like, so I'm this, I'm the, he knew about the clay resource. He didn't know what it was. Nobody exactly. knows what it is, but he knew what it was. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's like, it's a headless man. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, what would, I mean, what would you think if you saw somebody remove his head like that? Uh, I, I'm not sure. I think, well, your head's disappeared. And, and he went, he touched it and felt his face and like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. yeah. That was, yeah. that was great. Yeah. I think was this. I think this was a Stephen Bacho episode, written I by. Believe so. Um, so I think that's partially might you know explain a little of it was parts of it were better. The the comedy was better, I think, than a lot of the episodes. Yeah. Um, maybe not entirely convinced of Dan sitting on the suitcases. Oh yeah, they would have felt him, brushed up against him, or literally something like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Whoa. Unless he was standing on it. Standing on it. Yeah. That's a much better image to put in your head. Uh-huh. I think it would have fallen off. I think he would have fallen off too. Or onto I, somebody. I assume that he was sitting on it. Mm-hmm. But I guess he could have been, say, doing a push-up on it. The rest of the bed would have been moved. You know, they would have noticed the sheets moving and stuff in the bed. Well, even if he was sitting on it. Yeah, I mean, there would have been like a large... Yeah. Dent in the bed where he was yeah. standing or leaning or something like that. So, yeah, I didn't quite. Yeah, actually, I keep thinking, I think of this, there's bits that are better, but there are bits that are worse. Another bit that's worse is, so a prisoner mm-hmm. at a prison wearing prison outfit, prison hat. Right. Walks up to a prison car, <laughs> gets in it, drives off. Uh, and he says to he says to Dan, "How am I, how am I going to get past the gate?" And he takes the hat off, and he says, uh, "What was it? Have confidence, uh, project an authority, air of authority, uh, yeah, I something what like he that." Says. Yeah, forgot what the exact words were. And and then the next scene we see, they're driving down the road. It's like, oh, <laughs> didn't have to shoot that bit. Good. <laughs> yeah, because that one would have been beyond belief. Yeah, I mean, especially it, since he still got a freaking numbered you know, uniform on his chest. Right, right. Exactly. He's, he's he's not wearing the colors of somebody who should be driving a car. I mean, even if he was a trustee, 
And yes, sometimes trustees are sent out with vehicles to do things and come back. They're in, you know, it's, there's paperwork and stuff. There's usually guard with them and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, that part was, that part was bad. And then I joked about the cop pulling him over for driving while black, but <laughs> that's because that's a modern, well, okay. Let's rephrase that. It probably was, it's been happening for decades. So it's not, but it would be a modern thing in the zeitgeist now of a television program would not necessarily have been in 1975, something that people would have wanted to come up. So why exactly did the cop pull him over? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> exactly. Like it's, it's an official vehicle. You see a man driving an official vehicle from the prison, which he obviously knows is in his jurisdiction. And he decides to pull him over. I don't think he could see that he was wearing a prisoner's outfit from from when he decided to pull the car over. Yeah, it's possible. I mean... He didn't really look like he was speeding. Well, it's kind of hard to tell in those cars. They bounce so much. Did all cars bounce that much in the 70s? I don't remember. Yes. Good yes, grief. How horrible. Yes, they did. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, uh, that's good quality American craftsmanship. <laughs> Dampen those uh, shocks and springs, please. Wow. Um... So, yeah, I, mm, just a convenience to get him arrested so that Dan mm -hmm. has to drive to have the cow gag. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The cow gag. Can, yeah. can you, so there's a cow for, for people who didn't actually watch the episode. There's, there's, a, there's a farmer in Texas <laughs> taking, mm. taking his cows for a walk on a leash. Yeah. A couple cows going to cross the road. Yeah. Um, which I was not aware that farmers generally did, but... Well, you know, maybe they were family pets. They, they they could have been family pets. Anyway, so Dan has to stop for the cows, and he honks at the cows because... He's impatient. That's what you do um, when you want to not draw attention to the fact that you're invisible. And uh, <laughs> Exactly. So the farmer goes up, looks in the car, sees that no one's driving the car, and then the car drives off. And... And he goes, well, that car is driving itself. I mean, what a concept. I know. Who would have think that? Boy. Hmm. <laughs> Cars driving themselves? That's no never going to happen. No way. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, <laughs> it'll happen. They just won't stop for cows. No, probably not. <laughs> no. Well, cows are pretty big. You want to stop for those or swerve or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Doggone it, we programmed the trolley problem in there for people, but we forgot the trolley problem for cows. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh! I did like the way they, they pulled off the uh, self-driving car gag. That big, thick, uh, black uh, seat cushion <laughs> for the, uh, the, the, uh, the driver's seat. Mm. It was about a foot and a quarter thick. Yeah, it's, they hadn't reached the level <laughs> of sophistication they used with Knight Rider. Well, a, it's a, a good idea. Like, I mean, just hide the driver in the seat. Okay, that'll work. <laughs> You'd think they Why could not? just put him in the back uh, with a remote control and a TV. That, but yeah, in the that, trunk. But, uh, yeah. In 1975 or four. Yeah. They had TVs. Mm. Oh, boy. Yeah. That, uh, that would have cost time and money. And nah, nah, you know, if they could have just dragged the car with a rope, they would have, which I so bet that was talked about. Would have interfered with the cows. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But that's probably what 
what the problem was. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did. Re- I liked in another scene where uh, uh, Dan and uh, oh, God, I can't remember his name. Leyland. Leyland are are walking. He says, "Oh, that's a nice breeze." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I bet it is." <laughs> that was, he said it when he was in the car. Yes, that's right. He was in the car. They yeah. were driving. He's like, "That's, no, a, that's nice a nice breeze." breeze. Like, Okay. <laughs> not sure if Leland really figured out that he's sitting next to a guy who's completely naked, but hey, why not? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you want me to roll up the windows? Oh, he couldn't roll up the windows. They'd be hand crank and Dan would have to do it himself. Oh, good point. Yeah. yeah. Good point. <laughs> yep. Yep. I also appreciated the fact that he couldn't knock the cop out. Oh, yeah. That was great. It's like, biff. Oh, that didn't do anything. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, it is. It has always been a little bit straining credibility as to how hard Dan can hit people. Yeah, because let's be fair, he's just a little guy. Yeah, I, think I don't know can... how big. I don't know how big uh, uh, David McCallum is, but he is not a large man. No, no, he was you know about average. He's got to be like you know five six or something like that. But yeah, I don't think. Uh... Yeah, he can hit just hard enough for most people to knock them out. But not a cop. Yeah, this the the, the cop was at the higher end of the curve there. Yep. Yeah. So good good, good guy to have on your side during a bar fight. Yeah. At five seven. And, so five, um, there you go. Five seven. There you go. Bigger than I thought. Honestly. Really? Huh. Yeah. It's the hair. It could be. It makes him look like a, 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 a little person of some form. Like a mushroom or troll. Mushroom, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does little troll dolls, too. <laughs> yep. So they had, like, spiky hair, but still, same kind of idea. Uh, let's see. I noticed that uh, there was a credit for guard with shoes. <laughs> guard with shoes. Guard As Dan shoes. is collecting his uh, clothing and doing mm-hmm. all his paperwork and stuff, he walks by a guard who's asleep with his shotgun resting on his lap, and his, his shoes are off next to him. And, you know, he's got, you know, black socks and his big toe is sticking out of the, the right foot. And Dan kind of just picks up the shoes and walks off with them. It's like, okay, he couldn't get in shoes from the quartermaster area where he's getting. I the... didn't see that. Yeah. It was I must there. have blinked. Uh, I, saw, yeah, I remember walking quick. past the guard who was sleeping. I remember that, but weird. Yeah. <laughs> this, you'd think he'd have gotten. This could be some sort of a, a law I'm working on that. Uh, the, the more uh, obscure things that I notice uh, it, uh, relate to the uh, the poorness of the script. <laughs> it's, it's like hmm, finding out info about airplane in uh, in some footage that was shown for a couple seconds. Floating shoes credits. It is con- mm-hmm. it is con- uh, consistent though. Dan has been a bit of a practical joker. Yeah, okay. Throughout the show, and and let's face it, wouldn't you be? I mean, there have been times when their lives are in danger and he still pulls some stupid oh, yeah. stunt. But I could see how if you were not in a dangerous situation, you'd totally move things around on people just to... Oh, heck yeah. He'd be moving up. car keys and everything else. Yeah. 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 Going so, around and, and just moving pictures, you know, 16th of an inch a little bit to mess people up. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It... Uh, uh, it, it took me a while. His voice was really, really familiar. And it's like I recognize his voice, but I can't. Are you talking about the warden? Why? Yeah. And oh, finally, uh, it dawned yeah. on me. It's, it's like, oh yes, 
He Maybe. was from he was in the movie The President's Analyst. He played the telephone company guy. It's uh Pat Harrington Jr. Schneider from Schneider. When, when, that was it from One Day, one at, a day time? at a Time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, One Day at a Time. No. Yeah. I think that's what it was. It's uh yeah, yeah One it, Day at a Time. It is definitely. Yeah, that's where I know him from most. Um mm-hmm. but I have seen him in Actually, I've seen him stuff all the way back to Get Smart. Yeah, his uh, his filmography is quite lengthy. It's a lot of work. Yeah, he, he didn't look quite as sleazy as he does in One Day at a Time. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty impressive that he could you know change his his appearance could be changed so much. Uh, that was the seventies for people. Apparently, David McCallum actually kind of looked like a kind of straight laced guy at a younger point in his time, but with that hair he's got now, he is he's bordering on the he's bordering on the hippie. I know, that's weird. It is a strange haircut. Yeah. I, do you think it was his real hair or just that was the oh, wig yeah. they had? That's what he's wearing in sapphire and steel. Really? Oh wow. That's just huh. pretty much, yeah. Wow. Yeah that's that's his that was his seventies look. <laughs> <laughs> well it was the seventies. Big hair. I guess. Oh, uh, and uh, uh, Dan, his his name for being on the inside, Harry Wells. Yeah, it's like clever, not Herbert George Wells. Hmm. Well, I, yeah, I, I guess you could believe a name Harry Wells, but could you believe Herbie Wells? No, but I think it was just it's good yeah, because it was clearly a you know it's a tip of the hat to the guy who came up with the idea of the Invisible Man. Yeah. Okay, but now. Uh-huh. Here is the important question. What? Does H.G. Wells exist in this universe? And did he write the novel The Invisible Man? Don't have any idea. I'm going to say no because it was never mentioned before. And, you mean and like somebody going, what, just like that guy in the book? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it's just a pure coincidence that he chose the last name of Wells. Hmm. He's, he's gone to the well one time too many for that. Ah, ah. Ouch. And with that, folks, good night. <laughs> yes, I think I don't know. I, I don't know that I have anything else. This is just, you know. Nah, that's about it. We're kind of ticking off the time getting through these, just like they were ticking off the time writing. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Oh, seven more to go. Oh, <sighs> I don't think we have that many to go. How many are there? Uh, um, Twelve episodes. Thirteen See, if you count the plot. Plot. Pilot? Pilot. Sorry. Pilot. Pilot, <laughs> yeah, if we plot, count the whatever. plot, there's less than, there's definitely less than 12. It's about 0. 0.5. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know what we're going to be watching next time because we were watched, we watched the wrong two episodes this time. <laughs> I think that was my fault. So Yeah. Uh, yeah all we'll the, for... all the episode lists I've found are, they all jive with the, uh, the one on Wikipedia, which shows the air dates. Okay. It so. does not jive with the way they rip off the DVDs. Really? <gasps> no. I wonder if they use production dates. I, I don't know. Well, it, okay. The DVDs mm-hmm. have nothing. They do not have episode titles. They do not have episode numbers. They do not have synopses. They do not have anything. There is no insert. There is no... Is there writing on the discs? Yes, it's like The Invisible Man, David McCallum, episodes one through six or something like that. That's it. Huh. Wow. Universal Studios, 1970, 75. And, and the back of the 
the only information about the series is on the back of the sleeves or the back of the discs cover. And that's where it got the bit about the morality league after the show, because it featured a naked man running around. Uh, okay. So yeah, I mean, sparse information. Cause I, I went to check that today when we learned that you and I had watched different episodes, <laughs> but would it have mattered? Well, I, <laughs> I, I, I actually, I got, I think, 10 minutes into the right episode before I decided to check because it didn't jive with the name I remember we talking about. So, uh, oh, okay. so I can tell you it's, it's going to be more of the same. So I wouldn't doubt it. That one will be that one. At least we will definitely do next time. And it is sight unseen and, uh, okay. and something else. So, right. and I think we can safely guess what that's about. <laughs> So, actually, John, thank you. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, I was going to say, ahead. actually, uh, in it should be like uh, stop when red lights flash and pin money for the next really? two. Yeah. How bizarre. And then Clay Dynasty, then Sight and Scene, Power Play, and an attempt to save face. Wow. Yeah. Gonna... I don't know where you got that, where they got that list. Huh. Yeah. That's just, that is just the physical order they play on the disc. Huh. Well, hmm. Are there any other languages? No. Nope. Uh, no, it's just no English. subtitles, okay. no languages, no nothing. Huh. Because it was released in other countries, but yeah, th these are these are definitely, um, you know, in that. Well, we've got this in the library. Let's get it out, but don't spend any money. <laughs> yeah, we have twenty bucks to put this on the shelf. Okay. It might even be a print on demand. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think the man from Atlantis is a, that are now available are print on demand as yeah. well, but the quality's fine. I mean, for for what it is, non restored, but yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I guess I'll just have to go through them and figure out which episode is which and get it straightened out. But we'll be watching two more episodes. Yes, <laughs> and, guaranteed. And I, I definitely think we have beat this one to death, listeners. Mm -hmm. Thank you for for uh, listening to us ramble. Uh, and we hope you'll join us again next time on Fusion Patrol. And and thank you for joining me, John. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, it was fun. Hope to do it again. <laughs> Bye, folks. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. There are over 500 previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. Next time on Fusion Patrol, we're going to be looking at the 1979 Nigel Neal television production of Quatermass. And we'll be looking at intergenerational conflict, and we'll be talking about anti-science, magical thinking, and 1970s dystopias. Yes, we're going to be, we're going to be busting on magical thinking and anti-science. We're definitely going to be doing that. <laughs> Next time, I hope you'll join us.